every single year, we release a financial report of, of how our year was, where your money went, what came in, what went out, all of those things. Um, we believe, 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 believe in transparency. We want you to see things. I think the church gets in a lot of trouble when we have secrets around money. Um, we try to have secrets around nothing, um, especially money. So if you want to scroll through there, there it gives you loads of information about how finances happen at our church. It's, it gives you the structure of our financial model and our venue model and all sorts of things. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. Um, the first is, if you go to the total, it says that we brought in $944,000 Dollars. That's a lot of money last year. Um, I want to be clear that that $944,000, that was not at Springbrook. Uh, we are part of a wider organization. The organization brought in $944,000. To give you a little bit of perspective, um, Springbrook brought in a little over $176,000. So we are a pie piece of a very large pie. Um, and so, but here's something exciting. I love celebrating money stuff. And um, here's something exciting. Our $176,000 that we brought in last year was $50,000 more than we brought in in 2018. That's a huge increase. That is a big deal. I feel like it needed a bigger clap than that. But you do you. You do you. You do you. Uh, um, uh, the next thing that I want to say is if you keep scrolling, you'll see um, that uh, it talks about if you give a dollar to Springbrook, where it goes. And I think that's important for you to know. Um, we, we have, uh, what we do in our organization is we share all administration. And so um, a percentage of your dollar goes to our administrative costs. And here's what you should know as the small church in a big organization. We get so much more than we pay for. I would double the amount that we pay into that uh, because we have access to a, the um, administration of a really large church as a really tiny church. And that is just like spoiling and it's amazing. And so um, we all give to missions together. There are a few things like that that we all do together. Um, Next thing is, I, my, my favorite part of the whole report is when we, I see how much money we give away. And, um, and so it, 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 it really is kind of amazing to me. I'm so proud of us as a church. I was trying to do the math last night, and it's like we give away, uh, like, our number, it's like almost 20% of what comes in. That's unheard of. And, I mean, really, even the $944,000 is a really small church budget for how big of a church we are as an organization. And so I'm just, I'm just so proud of us. I'm proud of, of, of uh, how we do things. It makes it fun to go to this church, but fun to work at this church. Um, so, uh, two things that are really specific to Springbrook. Um, one is uh, we. One of the things that we are uh, doing, you'll see that um, the percentage of your money that goes into savings. Here's how that works. If any dollar that comes in right now that's over what we use in our monthly budget uh, goes directly into our savings account. We are trying to aggressively save because we would love to one day have a building with 24/7 access. And so that's what we do. We we put money aside um, for future ministries, for future things that we'll need at the church. But one of those is absolutely um, our hope is that it will be for a building. Um, so finally, um, we have some financial goals. I do want to talk just a little bit about 2020 um, and, and where we'd like to go as, as giving increases, um, we hope. And so uh, there are three main goals that, that we have financially for this year. Um, one is uh, to get to a place where we could afford uh, not just a down payment on a building or to buy and purchase a building, but to actually afford the monthly costs associated with um, possibly owning or renting our own space with 24, you know, you, you, we don't pay utilities here. We pay a fat, a flat, a fat fee. It's not that fat. We pay a flat fee to the school 
And they keep the lights on and they pay for toilet paper and they do all those things. Um, But those are things that we would have to do on our own. So we want to get to a place where we could do that. Um, uh, The second thing is I am the only full-time employee specific to Springbrook. And I would love to change that. I would love to get to bring Chad on from like a part-time plus to a full-time thing. And then a third financial goal that we have is um, I just think it is time to bring on someone for youth to hang out with teenagers, uh, not just in our church, but all over this community. And um, we have big vision for that. And so I'd love to get to a place where we could do that. So those are where we're headed. Um, Here's the thing about our finances. Uh, You can ask any question that you want. We truly believe, uh, we say that there aren't any secrets here. If you have a question about money, we would love to answer it. Um, Feel free to find me after the service or email me or call me or text me or we'll get coffee. Um, I'm going to be honest. Most likely I will answer your question by saying, have you met my friend Johnny Williams? Um, Johnny Johnny is our business administrator for the whole organization. If you have uh, questions about money, he knows the answer. And so, Johnny, will you wave your hand? That's Johnny. He most likely will have a plaid shirt on, and he is particularly delightful. So you're welcome that you get to experience Johnny. So um, so uh, what we do, we do this every year about this time, and it's usually about this time kind of on purpose um, because around this time of year, you're getting lots of financial statements. You're getting W-2s and giving statements and things like that. And so it's just sort of a reminder for us that we want to have um, eyes on our church finances, but also it's sort of a reminder of having eyes on our personal finances of like, um, for me, for years and years, I would get giving statements and realize that I was far more generous in my heart than I actually was from my purse. And um, and so it's just one of those times of, it's a good practice to look at, am I giving what, what I feel like God has asked me to give? And so that's why we do it. So um, here's how giving works at our church. We don't pass a plate for offering. uh, If you've been here, you know that. We believe that giving is something that we do uh, out of gladness and gratitude, not under compulsion. And so, um, but we have offering bars in the back. You can can visit them at any time. Or there's a link uh, behind me or on the vineyardchurch.info where you can give online. And you can set up recurring gifts there. And that is a super helpful thing for us so that we can project what we think is going to come in every month. That helps us make financial decisions. which uh, we make big ones every spring. So that's really good information. Are there any questions right now from the crowd? Anyone brave enough to have one? Okay, um, we'll, we'll take a breath after our business meeting and um, do what we do every week. Uh, we pass the peace of Jesus uh, because uh, around here we just believe in the peace of Jesus. We believe in a peace that doesn't necessarily make sense to us. And so uh, we want to carve out space every single morning um, to communicate that belief to each other. So we'll take a few minutes and greet each other, high fives and hellos, and, and then uh, my mom's going to read the scripture. So. Good morning. My name is Ginger Teague, and uh, Lindsay did ask me to tell you that um, I have the privilege, along with Kurt Stokes, of being part of, I guess, your representatives on the financial board. And so it's a privilege for us to take a dive in and really look at what the Lord's doing in in our church and through the gifts that we give. Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 1 through 4 and then skip down to verse 19. Watch out. Don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. 
they have received all the reward they will get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Moving on to verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break through and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your hearts will also be. Your, um, sorry, your eye is like a lamp uh, that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved by money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, <clears throat> isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for all the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thanks, Mama. If you can ask your family to read the longest ones. Um, let's pray. <clears throat> God, I, uh, I thank you for this place, and I thank you for these people. I, I thank you um, that you show up week after week. And so, God, I ask in the next few minutes that you uh, would fill us with your spirit, that you would uh, fill us with the courage to look inside ourselves at, at ways that you want to refine us and rescue us and redeem us. I... Um, I pray, yeah, I pray that you give us the courage, uh, the wisdom, the hope um, that as we look at um, the kind of uncomfortable part of the Sermon on the Mount, that um, your goodness would shine through, that your mercy would shine through, that your grace would shine through, that the story of 
your great love for us will be the story in our brains and in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we are a couple weeks in uh, to the Sermon on the Mount uh, series. Last week, we moved into a section of Matthew chapter 5 that really specifically is uh, the the moral ethic of Jesus. Jesus laying out uh, his ethics. And I understand what my job is. uh, And and so I really think that the whole Sermon on the Mount is great. Uh, But there is something so brilliant and uh, progressive and absolutely incredible uh, that happens when Jesus uh, talks about ethics. It is, if that's something that you geek out on, I don't know that you do, but if it is, um, the brilliance of Jesus around ethics is, is, I don't, I I can't, I'm going to oversay it and I don't know that you can. So uh, last week we talked about the ethics of Jesus around relationships and we looked um, uh, through the lens of anger. And so we're going to do something kind of similar this week. We're going to look at the ethics of Jesus around generosity and we'll look at it uh, through the lens of money. And so if you're here and you're new with us and this is your first Sunday, welcome. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about money. Um, I feel like, honestly, I feel like coming to a, visiting a church on the week that they talk about money is like the best week you can ever visit a church because you can find out. It's sort of like looking under the hood while you're looking at a car. Like you can find out how truly weird or, or maybe uh, terrifying they are. And so, uh, so welcome. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so I grew up uh, in this town, and I grew up in the church, and 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 so um, just being honest with you, my relationship uh, between money and church uh, was really good. I had a really good relationship between money and church, and here's what I mean. Um, when I was in, I think, fourth or fifth grade, I met a woman at my church named Mrs. Elma Thomas, and um, I don't know why, but Mrs. Thomas liked me, and and I liked her. I do know why I liked her. Uh, I liked her. She was always dressed really cool for an old lady, and she wore bright red lipstick. And my mom wouldn't let me wear lipstick in the fifth grade, and I thought that was cool. And 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 the best part of Mrs. Thomas to me was that she walked everywhere that she walked in. When she walked into a place, she walked in like she owned the place, like everybody was waiting for her to arrive. And I thought that was awesome. Um, that probably explains a lot. Of your uh, experience with me today. Um, but <laughs> I, I thought it was awesome. And so Mrs. Thomas became a really important part of why I loved going to church during this period of time uh, in my life. Uh, I, I really uh, pretty much only ever saw Mrs. Thomas at church, but I loved seeing her at church uh, because she was dressed so snazzy, because of the lipstick, because she was un- so confident. But if I'm truly honest with you, the main reason I loved seeing Miss Thomas at church was that she gave me a $20 bill every time she saw me which is a hint, hint, if anyone's trying to gain favor with the children's wing. Um, It was awesome. It was awesome. Upon uh, meeting Mrs. Thomas, church for me went from a very boring place to a very interesting place. Um, I became like the troop leader in our house. Like everybody up at Adam, we are going to church this morning. It is very important for us. Oh, yeah, and we're going to Sunday school. We love Sunday school. And and some of us might want to see some specific people and not chance missing them on a Sunday morning. And so for me, I thought church and money mixed wonderfully in my life. Uh, uh, And and until uh, one day when I showed up and Mrs. Thomas acted like she had no idea who I was. You know, I came up, hello, it's so good to see you. You know, <laughs> hello. And, and she, she acted like she had never seen me before, and it was terribly unfortunate. Uh, that was also the day that I learned she was an identical twin. So 
Uh, there's that. There's that. Um, uh, but as a kid, and our twin was not as generous as, as Elma was. Um, but uh, as a kid, I associated church with money, and it was a very good relationship. Honestly, it was a very lucrative uh, relationship uh, for me. Um, but as I've gotten older... That relationship between money and church has gotten far more complicated. Um, I, we all feel weird talking about money in church, right? We, we, we all do. I, I know I do. Uh, when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, when Chad and I were saying, hey, we're going to do a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to skip uh, the verses about money and the verses about sex. And we'll do the rest of it. And, and great news, we're talk, talking about sex in a couple weeks, so it will get weirder than today. Um, if you want to see a 37-year-old woman blush for 25 minutes... Don't miss a Sunday. Um, I think that a lot of the reason that it feels so uncomfortable um, to uh, talk about church and money, um, it's sort of a distinction. Like, Jesus talks about money all the time. And, and I don't think we have to apologize for Jesus. And, and, and he absolutely talks about it. But I think um, what makes it so uncomfortable is that when I think about church and money, my, my mind doesn't instantly go to Miss Thomas and $20 bills. Instead, the picture in my mind is of a man in a fancy suit or a woman um, with very large hair. Um, and, and they have a private plane and they're pleading uh, for money or for, for people to sow a seed. And they're, they're pleading with people to sow a seed from people who are statistically struggling to keep the lights on in their homes. And then people with private planes are asking them for money and they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And it makes me sick. It makes me so nauseous. Like, like Jesus, all throughout the Bible, he's the champion of the least of these. He's the one who sets free uh, the oppressed. He, he is the one who has a lot to say about our treatment of the poor and the needy and the sick and the widow and the stranger. And, and, and these people, they are absolutely using the name of Jesus to steal from the sick and the poor and the widow and the elderly. And it is wrong and it is evil. And I don't know about you, but it's things like this and other really horrible stories about the abuses of power and privilege in the church that makes the conversation around church and money so tricky and so uh, complicated. And so um, before we really dive in today, I feel the need to clarify two things. Um, the first one is I drive a Honda. And so does Daniel. And mine didn't even start this morning. So that's what we're working with. Um, if my son Campbell has told you that he's going to get a Tesla for his 16th birthday, you should know that Campbell has a real struggle with reality like most 12-year-old boys. That's not, that is not true. Uh, this, is, this is where we come. We have an amazing life. We have far more than we've ever deserved. Um, but we ain't got a private plane. Not that if you do, I'll fly on it. But I don't have one. So um, the second thing I would like to say is that um, I'm not, we're not doing some sort of big offering today uh, or making like a building announcement or something like that. The whole setup team are like the only people disappointed right now. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. I have, I have asked for money as much as I'm going to uh, in our financial update. That, so I just want you to be able to settle the angst that this whole sermon is not leading to me um, asking you for a large sum of money. Um, I, 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 I don't, uh, there's no like switcheroo at the end of this. It's, it's not coming. My goal today is not to plead with you for your money. I actually don't think that's what Jesus is doing at all in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not pleading with us for our money. What Jesus, I think Jesus is doing is that he's pleading with us for our hearts. He's pleading with us for our freedom. 
And so I think it's so important um, as we talk about this to remember what we've said week after week, that the Sermon on the Mount is not a message from Jesus meant to shame us. It's not a message from uh, like a list of rules that Jesus lays out or a series of circles of who's in and and who's out. That isn't it. The Sermon on the Mount is a message of, of Jesus telling us what kind of life is possible. Like, what kind of life is actually possible for us? And so when it comes to generosity, Jesus um, is standing in front of a crowd of people, and he's casting a vision of, of I think, he's casting a vision of what freedom uh, could look like for them, and in turn, what freedom could look like for us uh, 2,000 years later. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest that I, I love and is super formative for me. And she says um, that we make two mistakes when it comes to passage in the, passages in the Scripture like what my mom read today. The first mistake we make is the mistake of pretending that they're not about money. And the second mistake that we make is is that we come at them as if they are only about money. And I think that's so true. The verses that we read today, they are absolutely about our money. But they are about so much more uh, than our money. When the scriptures teach about generosity, it's always like a holistic idea. It's, it's a much wider picture than just our finances. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's presented as a wide and open-handed approach to living, uh, not just with our finances, but with our time, with our gifts, with our ideas. Jesus, the, the ethics of generosity uh, for Jesus are not just a financial generosity, but a generosity of spirit and a generosity of purpose and a generosity of place and, and so much more. And so I hope today that as we look at what Jesus is saying about money, that that will help paint a wider picture of the overall ethic of generosity in the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus is painting a picture, that's what he's doing. He's painting a picture of what it looks like to share in the kingdom of God, of what it looks like to give up or give over or go without for the good of someone else. I want to quote Barbara Brown Taylor again. This is how she describes the picture of generosity that uh, Jesus is painting. She says, generosity, uh, in the idea of generosity, we are God's sharecroppers. We tend the earth and its riches for, for someone else's behalf. We are expected to represent God's interests, being generous with each other, uh, being as generous with each other as God has been with us. We are not owners. We were never meant to be. It is not the American way, but it is the kingdom way. And I will tell you something, the harvest of this kingdom will take your breath away. So, uh, to jump in, uh, we'll do three quick observations about the generosity of the kingdom way. So, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you my outline. Here's what it is. Number one, uh, we don't have to buy our way into favor. Number two, Jesus values the now. And number three, we'll talk about the antidote to scarcity. So, uh, number one, uh, our verses today with Jesus uh, telling, uh, they begin with Jesus telling us that giving is not our way to buy favor with God and man. That's what that first section that my mom read is. Uh, uh, He says, don't even let your left hand be impressed with your right hand. Like, don't even be impressed with your own self. It is is not the way. What Jesus is doing in these verses is he's widening our picture of what it means to live within the freedom of the kingdom of God by posturing what it means to give. He's saying the good life means that we don't give in order to gain the favor of man, and we don't give in order to gain the favor of God. And that may like, sound sort of normal to us, but what he's saying is actually uh, really, really big. What he's saying um, from his first, like his first sentences about money are to say, we do not give our money away because we owe a debt to God. 
That isn't why we do it. That's, that's what the Pharisees were doing at Jesus' time. They were like uh, flagrantly giving away money to, in front of everyone, pay off some sort of debt to God. But, not, but it's not just the Jewish people. This, is, this would have been the action of most every person in Roman culture. Uh, Roman culture was a polytheistic society, so there were gods for everything. And so people were paying for all They were paying to the, to the god of society, the god of culture, to the god of rain, to the god of sex, to the god of whatever. All, all Money was going to pay off debts in order to gain favor uh, uh, with some sort of God in, in their lives. And so Jesus is saying to first century, what he's saying to first century Israelites is actually really revolutionary. He's saying that this way of giving is not the kingdom way of giving, that you do not owe a debt. That isn't why it's happening, that you don't have to pay in order to earn a place. It's, it's at this time, it's a completely new kind of generosity, a generosity that's based uh, on the service of others versus the service of your own self or the protection of your own self or the debt relief of your own self. Frederick Buechner says, when it comes to the favor of God, that there is no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. The only way to receive God's favor is through Jesus and the cross, not through anything that we do. And so the kingdom comes with this new way of giving, uh, not because of guilt or a desire to wow or a desire to impress. Uh, the New Testament paints a really different picture than that. It paints a picture of, of giving out of gladness. It's a picture of generosity that isn't guilt-fueled or success-fueled or status-fueled, but is instead fueled by gratitude. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. Another translation says God loves a hilarious giver. Here, here's how it reads. It says, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving because God loves hilarious generosity. Does anyone here know who Bob Goff is? Okay. If you don't know who Bob Goff is, he's worth a Google. B-O-B. Uh, G-O-F-F. -F. You, you should Google him. He, Bob got, when I think about the hilarious generosity, he, he's, he's my picture. He's, I don't even know how to describe him. He's like this guy. He travels around the world with, with balloons, literally, and he like puts on parades places for no reason, and he's always giving stuff away. He's giving away his time and his money and, and whatever he has, and he's giving it away, and every time you see a picture of Bob Goff, he's laughing. He's like laughing, and so he's, in, in, he's the picture in my mind of a hilarious Giver, And if you listen to interviews with Bob Goff and they're like, you know, why do you do all this or how do you do it? He just laughs and he's like, how did I get here? Oh, no. Like that's, that's his response. <laughs> Want a balloon? I mean, legitimately, it's, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I, and I think it really is probably a better picture than what a lot of us have of what generosity looks like in the kingdom of God. The ethics of Jesus around generosity. They're not debt settling or uh, showy self-service. It's, it's open-handed gratitude. And here's why. Uh, because the kingdom of God was created out of a hilarious generosity. That's why we can walk into it. Because it was, it was created by a hilarious generosity. It is ruled by and lives within the outrageous and spontaneous generosity of God. And that kind of generosity is what becomes our standard for how wide and free our lives could truly be. Okay, observation number two. Let me Jesus values now. Um, 
I think sometimes uh, when we uh, look at the verses about storing up treasures on earth, uh, uh, it gets a little bit confusing. Um, so uh, when you first read these verses, it seems like Jesus is telling uh, the people on the mountain and, and to us today, it seems like he's saying, don't worry about this life, just get ready for heaven. Right? Don't, don't worry about anything here, just, just get ready for what's coming next. Um, but I don't really think that that is what Jesus is saying. Um, when the word heaven is used here, it isn't contextually talking about um, the future world or an afterlife. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, when he writes about this, he says that Jesus, uh, like, like any Jewish person, absolutely believed and taught about life after death and a wonderful future that is in store. Um, but, but when first century Jews were talking about an afterlife, heaven was not the word that they used uh, to describe that. Heaven here in this sermon is, is, is kingdom language. What he's talking about here is the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, where God is here and now. And so when he talks about uh, treasures in heaven, uh, what he's saying, he's talking about an invitation to live freely here on earth now. Like today, heaven, now, kingdom, now, where all of our priorities are filtered uh, through the God of the universe who made us and is with us and is ever for us. Uh, Jesus isn't uh, saying, to st saying to store up your treasures just in a future life. He's also saying that the kingdom of God is an invitation to redefine what treasure looks like now. What treasure is now. Treasure that is as much for now as it is for the future. He's talking about uh, learning to live in the power and the presence and the hope and the love and the grace of God here and now. It's like a reorienting of our lives and what we value through the filter of the God who is with us now and for us now, not just the future version of us. And I think it is so fascinating how much value Jesus puts on today, on the present, on the now. I feel, I feel like a lot of times growing up I heard about a religion that really valued what was coming and what was later, and I feel like when you, when you read the stories of Jesus, that isn't the only thing he's talking about. He also talks about the now. And so in this, uh, these verses, that's no exception. Jesus isn't just talking about the money that we might get tomorrow or the time that we might get tomorrow or the gifts that might come our way tomorrow. He's talking about the value and the discipline and the generosity of what we have now. It's what he's talking about all the time in the Gospels. In my mind is the picture, the story of Mary and Martha where Martha's in the kitchen and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And in my mind when I imagine, I think Mary was probably a really good cook and could have uh, really helped provide a meal later on. But Jesus says, what you're doing now matters. I won't stop it. This minute matters. It's the widow who brings less than a penny, and it's called more valuable than the greater gifts of the Pharisees. It's, it's the idea of, of now, not always the idea of what's coming, though that's absolutely part of it. This, like so many uh, parts of the Sermon on the Mount, is revolutionary. It was revolutionary then, it's revolutionary now. We grow up hearing um, almost exclusively about what we will have to offer the world one day, right? We, we grow up and we hear that when we get better at our skills or when we graduate from high school or college or med school or grad school or trade school or whatever kind of school, that, that that's when we will be able to offer the world. I remember thinking that. And after I graduated from not all of those things, but some of them, um, thought like, well, I still don't feel any more, <laughs> any more ready. 
I still don't feel any more ready to, to offer things. Uh, what is so, it, 2,000 years later, after Jesus preached this sermon, the value of a human is still measured uh, in a great deal by what we might offer in the future. It's how we pick so many things in our life. It's how we pick people and places and things, hire people, pick partners. What, what we're going to do and what's so revolutionary about Jesus, so different than most, almost every religion, is how deeply he values the current the current version of you that makes minimum wage or is anxious or depressed or drowning in the pressures of the future. The current version of you that is still learning, that is still refining, that feels like you have so little to offer the world. Jesus is saying that in the kingdom of God, there is an outrageous value on that person. Not just the future version of you. It's, it's a reorienting of what we see as treasure, of what we see as valuable. It's taking kingdom eyes on our current lives. He's saying that the good life means that the kingdom of heaven becomes the primary lens or filter for how we see the world and everything in it, not just in the future, but today. Number three, and I think this is um, a really big one, um, the antidote to scarcity. Um, I've been reading a lot lately about the scarcity mindset. Um, and I think it has absolutely enormous impact on how we view the world and how we make decisions in our lives. So the definition of, if you're not familiar, of scarcity mindset or scarcity mentality is um, living and making definitions out of the belief that there will never be enough. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and this kind of mentality uh, orients, uh, psychologists tell us that this kind of mentality orients our brains automatically and powerfully with a laser-like focus toward whatever need we uh, think is unfulfilled. And this uh, is like the underlying anthem of America right now, right? So if you pay attention to politics or the news, those are like incubators for a scarcity mindset, right? They're terrifying. Um, it, it's marketing or advertisement. We are constantly inoculated with a spoonful of fear from like every other commercial. Of, if you don't do this, that might happen. You know, like you might not get this. You have to do this now. Uh, scarcity mindset has stretched um, far beyond. It, it was sort of birthed out of um, severe hunger and poverty, uh, but it's reached far beyond that where it makes sense um, to dwell in the hearts and the brains of people who have plenty. It's not just people uh, who are desperately hungry or desperately poor that have scarcity mindsets. It's now so many of us who have plenty, who all of our needs are met. Psychologists say that when scarcity enters our mind, it consumes it. That it becomes the forefront thought. And, and, and there are studies that show that scarcity mindsets, they cost us greatly. They cost us creativity. They cost us in problem solving. Uh, they cost us in ability. Um, and then I read an article just this week from uh, Harvard Magazine that says a scarcity mindset can actually cost us IQ points because of how much control that it has over our brains. And so there's this trend now in mental health about how impactful it is to teach people uh, to replace a scarcity mindset with one of abundance. That that's, that that's a healthier way to view the world. And, and it's written um, like it's this groundbreaking idea. But Jesus was talking about this 2,000 years ago. This is absolutely what he's pushing against in the whole section about the birds and the lilies and being mastered by money and tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Jesus, always ahead of his time, is, is absolutely facing a scarcity mindset head on. 
Uh, scarcity causes us to show up as a less human version of ourselves. And Jesus is constantly in the business of removing anything that makes us less than human or makes us less free. And so Jesus uh, is presenting the idea that uh, the kingdom is a mentality, not of scarcity, not a scarcity mentality, but that living out in the kingdom of God is a mentality of generosity and dependency versus scarcity. Uh, Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Um, As we just said, for people who claim to follow Jesus, then the kingdom of God becomes the primary lens or filter for how we see the world and everything in it. And the kingdom of God, uh, that filter, it's not compatible with scarcity. That's what I think Jesus is saying. This way of viewing the world is not compatible with scarcity. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom motivated by fear of what might not be. It is a kingdom that is motivated by the idea of plenty, the idea of sharing. And so instead of pushing us uh, to, in some direction uh, from a place of fear, Jesus is inviting us into generosity and into dependency. Dependency and scarcity, they're two radically different things, even though they kind of sound the same. Scarcity says that there's not enough of whatever it is that we think that we need. Uh, while dependency in kingdom of God terms says that not only is there plenty, but I both have access to it and I have a role in the distribution of it. It says, I have been the recipient of an outrageous generosity. And so rather than needing to store it or hoard it or hide it, outrageous generosity uh, instead begets outrageous generosity. And all that I have is mine to give in order to join God in the rescue and the renewal of the whole world. It's not don't have a savings account. It's quit being ruled by your savings account. It's not semantics. I think that the distinction between dependency and scarcity is incredibly important. There is a dignity to dependency. There's a dignity to it that does not exist in scarcity. Both are are painful. Dependency on something outside of yourself is hard and it's stretching and it's so incredibly painful. It's not so much a loss of control as it is an admittance of how very little control we actually have in the world. And that is really hard to do. It's really hard to do. It's hard. But scarcity is killing us. That's the difference too. Scarcity is killing us emotionally and psychologically. Psychologists say that scarcity leads us to make decisions that we know are terrible out of fear for what might be more terrible. It's like the whole idea around cash advance places. That like we make a decision that we like this is not going to go well for me, but it's better than what might not go well for me. And so we make decisions that are terrible in order uh, to not make more terrible decisions. Scarcity mindset um, is absolutely a form of hell on earth. We talked about that last week, that Jesus has a lot to say about now in the terms of hell. And, and scarcity mindset is a form of hell on earth. And if you live there and you know it, then you can say amen because it's true. Scarcity, it haunts you, and it keeps you up at night, and it steals your peace, and it steals your sleep, and it steals your hope, and it steals your joy. It clouds your relationship, and it dehumanizes you and those around you. That is not dignity, and Jesus is always pushing dignity. Scarcity is how money moves from being a normal part of the human experience uh, to the master of our lives and the master of of our hearts. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom of God is opposed to money or opposed to wealth. He's saying that the kingdom is opposed to it being the most powerful force in our life. 
which is why Jesus spends so many verses in Matthew 5 pleading for our hearts, offering us the antidote to scarcity in the form of dependency and generosity, which uh, from a scarcity mindset feels like he's asking you to drink the poison you're trying to avoid with your terrible decisions, right? It's why we're so afraid to part with our money or part with our time or part with our resources in any way that impacts us, in any way that we feel. The generosity that Jesus is talking about, it's truly an outrageous idea. And yet, it has the ability to set us free. The band can come on up. Um, A lot of Bible writers, when they talk about the kingdom of God, uh, they call it an upside-down kingdom. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it, as an upside-down kingdom. Because the kingdom of God, I think it offers us a really different way of viewing things. Uh, The kingdom of God, it's a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. It's a kingdom uh, where the best things aren't so much up and to the right, but down in who knows what direction. It's the kind of kingdom that says freedom looks like dependency and where we find value and dignity, not just in the future, but in today. It's the kingdom that has no way of earning it. It is the kingdom where the solution to your money fears or troubles is found in a looser grip rather than a tighter one. It is an upside-down kingdom, and and I think that's what we're being invited to. I think that's what we're being invited to. My hope is that as we're in this series that you'll read through the Sermon on the Mount maybe a few times. I think that's what you'll find is that we are being invited into a new way of thinking about things, a new freedom of living things. So we're going to take a couple minutes as we do each week. Uh, We call it Ceylon. It's just a breath, a time to not move on too quickly from where we currently are. Um, and I just have a couple of questions. You, you, you can just be quiet. There will be verse on the screen. You can follow along with those if that's helpful. You can pray. Whatever this time needs to be for you is great. Um, but, but here are some questions I have. Um, where is scarcity owning you? Where in your life is scarcity making decisions on your behalf? Is it money? Is it time? We can apply the same ideas that we've talked about today um, with so many things, but time is absolutely one of those. A a fear that there isn't enough time to do what we want to do. That's mine. That's where scarcity owns and rules my life. Uh, Aging is the most terrifying thing in the world to me. It is so terrifying. In so many ways, I am owned uh, by time, 100%. Um, Is it stuff? I think sometimes uh, uh, our stuff owns us versus us owning our stuff. Um, Are you owned by, this one is awful. Are you owned by the scarcity of your abilities and gifts and talents? By the idea that you have to perform in order to earn a favor that could disappear in any second? Do you live terrified of the approval that might go away one day? I don't know what it is. I I know most likely you're probably owned by something. Um, And I do think that there's value in taking a few minutes to listen to the Holy Spirit to help us uh, figure it out. And then one more thing. I think, I don't know who this is for, but I just feel like um, there might be some of us, the Holy Spirit just wants to talk about your value today. That, that God doesn't love some future version of you that has it all together. That he actually values you today, here, where you are. So I'm gonna pray into those things and then we'll be quiet for a little while. And then we'll come to the table. So God, we say, come Holy Spirit, will you, uh, I I don't know how we think about this outside of your spirit filling us with courage and your spirit giving us the desire to not want to stay the same. So God, I just ask um, 
ask that. I ask that you put um, a restlessness in us um, for staying the same. Ask that you would expose the things in us that are killing us or hurting us or destroying us or the people that we love. I pray that you uh, give us the courage to take a truly honest look at how this plays out in our lives. Will you show us uh, where we operate from scarcity, where you have invited us to operate from dependency and generosity. And God, I pray for those uh, of us in the room who feel like we have nothing to offer in this minute. It's just not what you teach. And so God, I ask your spirit to come near that that we believe in the dignity of the value that you have on today, that you are refining us, you are rescuing us, you are redeeming us. And all you've asked is for us to show up today. We love you, amen.